Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Vigilant Geek Podcast. My name is Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me here is... Uh, I am Holden Orm. Of Vigilant Geek Media as well. And we have a special guest with us today for this podcast. Uh, Boston comedian Nathan Burke is with us, who uh, is also... Uh, runs the studio, uh, Hotcast Studio, where uh, this podcast uh, records. Uh, Nathan, it's great to have you here today. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, uh, I own and operate this uh, podcast studio that we're recording in, and uh, I'm a I'm I'm a New England comic. I don't like to say Boston comic too much because I I don't really uh, I don't really operate just inside of Boston, but. Well, uh, uh, belay my last, he is a New England comic. Excuse me. Because I live pretty far outside of Boston. Cause, uh, now, uh, Nathan has actually been showcased uh, on the Vigilant Geek blog for all you blog readers out there that have been with us since the beginning. Uh, and he's actually a fantastic uh, character comedian. Uh, and one of his favorite characters that he plays is the Duke of Cambridge. I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that character. Maybe give us a little... Uh, Quip or two, perhaps. Oh, well, he's, uh, you can look it up on YouTube, but if you just type in Nathan Burke, Duke of Cambridge, it should, uh, pop right up. But it's, uh, he's a, he's a medieval, sexually ambiguous sociopath that, uh, that sort of, um, tells lewd jokes and it's kind of only funny because he thinks it's funny, but <laughs> that's kind of how I describe it. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and some of his views, uh, especially yeah. in regard to, regards to feudalism, uh, yeah. might not be so popular in today's <laughs> politically correct society, but, no. uh. But I get away with it because it's a character. Exactly. And, and the, I love the, <laughs> and I love the costume too. I love like the, the purple blouse that you wear and the, oh, the... well, funny story about that. <laughs> I recently quit my job, which supplied the costume. So I need to find a new costume that I can't steal from my work. Well, you know, uh, amen there, brother, on stick, sticking it to the man. Uh, if I could quit my job, boy, I'd be right there with you. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, I know. Mondays, right? <laughs> well, boy, uh, I got a bad case of the Mondays every week, I tell you. Oh, man. But anyways, uh, you know, maybe Holden over here could, could stitch you up a new costume. I hear he's great at, uh, cross stitch and, uh, crocheting and crossfit. CrossFit, yeah, he's, well, he does a lot of CrossFit. Yeah, Holden's yeah. like the only person here that works out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's almost true. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't stitch, but I guess I've been going to the gym. But it's not something I'm. All right, but do about you really cause... do you really make costumes or anything? Oh no, no, he was oh, just, that was just a, a he was leading eye. you on. That that's funny that that was the most interesting thing he had to say for you. That's the thing that really. That really caught your, uh, caught your ears there. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, I want to know, you know. If, well, we'll find, you know. don't worry, we will find someone to make you a costume. Could someone please, you know, out there who does, in fact, make costumes, we need a new costume for the Duke of Cambridge. Yeah. Something purple, something, uh, maybe 12th century. I don't know. We'll, yeah. <laughs> about that. That's about right. I would, and I'll say this, it's a, sort of a silver lining. I would like a new costume because, the one I was wearing was more of like a piratey sort of costume, so it's it's okay. I'm I'm coping well with it. Yeah. I'm did anyone uh, did you know that uh, I believe it's. 
Prince William as a, his actual title is the Duke of Cambridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is an actual <laughs> Duke of Cambridge. I think I realized that after the fact. Yeah. Well, you got to run with it now. I yeah, mean, no, I can't. I can't. You can't it. go with it. I mean. Well, actually, I was originally the Duke of Manchester because the first time I did it was in Manchester. Oh. So it's kind of like whatever town I'm in. Like and when was, you do the Boston area, you do the Duke of Cambridge, then you say it's the proper Cambridge. Yeah, it's not right. the Not this horrible Cambridge that you people are used to. That's your excuse for Sydney State. <laughs> uh. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, if you're listening out there and you want to watch some of Nathan Burke's hilarious character acting, uh, type in, go to YouTube, Nathan Burke, uh, Duke of Cambridge. Also, uh, go to our blog. And uh, you'll find it there as well. So moving on, today's podcast is going to center around the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We had touched upon that briefly uh, in episode one, but I didn't feel like we really spent enough time on it. So today we're going to take you phase by phase and uh, discuss some of these great films and, and how they all sort of started to intertwine on us over these past few years. So... All right. Um, first, I guess we're going to start off with some films that we like to call Phase Zero. So before these films, a lot of comic book movies were just like, oh, they're just trying to get the fan base out there to come see movies. They don't have the te- technology. These films are going to be not good or bad. And uh, for a long time, a lot of these franchises were picked up and they just were making terrible films. Until that all changed when the original X-Men film done back in, what was it, the early 2000s? Yeah, it was sort of towards the turn of the millennium. Uh, uh, yeah, the Blade series with Wesley Snipes and then uh, the Brian Singer uh, X-Men movies. Oh, yeah, I forgot uh, about the Blade movies. I, yeah. I forgot that was actually, you know, I, I kind of, well, that pe- was like the original... <laughs> Marvel, like, was that the first one that came out? Well, you know, that's oh, actually... Oh, by the way, before... Can I just preface this with, like, I'm I'm not a big comic book guy. <laughs> so anyone listening to this, uh, don't crucify me. I'm kind of just here for... Uh, <laughs> no, that's what we're here for. We'll yeah, cru- you're here to... We'll crucify you yes, for please. for everyone else. And, uh, no, uh, we brought you uh, on board this week for your hilarious jokes. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if you don't make us laugh, then we'll we'll certainly nail you to the cross there. Mm-hmm. No. But uh, it's funny you mention that because I just actually wanted to touch upon some of the attempts that Marvel had made... Uh, in the 80s and 90s, uh, in the early days uh, of, of filmmaking, they, uh, of course, technically, Howard the Duck would be a Marvel film, and that came out mid-80s, uh, I believe. Well, mid- it is now. I think that was uh, that was a LucasArts property. Right. And that's, uh, that's why they have it now, although there were Howard the Duck comics like before then. So I'm kind of it's kind of murky there. Is that one of the things that they allowed them to do? I know in the early days Marvel actually uh produced Star Wars comics. Oh, they as, certainly did. I, I you well. know it, it is very murky the Lucasfilm Marvel uh partnership there, but Howard the Duck is in fact considered a Marvel film. Uh uh, so that would be the first one. And then, uh, you know, from there they attempted to make, uh, a Punisher film with Dolph Lundgren, uh, oh, yeah. which, uh, which was very mediocre. I, you know, I thought it was cool, but I'm also very partial to the character, but even I could see the flaws in the movie. Uh, a few years later, they made a Captain America film that tanked. Uh, this they, was in the eighties. This, we're heading towards the early nineties now, okay. like 92, uh, 
Captain America tanked in the box offices. Uh, Spider-Man tanked in the box. I don't think it made it to the box office. And then they, uh, before the Marvel Universe actually started to catch on and they, they, uh, they built this cinematic universe. One last shot that failed was, uh, the, their first attempt at making a shield, uh, television series. They, uh, actually had David Hasselhoff cast uh, as Nick Fury. I remember that. The Hoff. Yeah, it didn't even last a full season, I believe. Uh, it was. It, I think it was just like the pilot episode. Maybe that it didn't even. It was shown as a movie. It yeah. was like two hours long, and then if people liked it enough, they would have picked it up. They also had this other one called Generation X, which had a lot of, uh, younger X-Men type characters. And this was live action? Yeah, yeah. Really? It, oh, I didn't uh, know that. It's the main character. They had Emma Frost and Banshee as like the two older professors, and then they had some other ones with, uh, the only one I can remember is really like Jubilee, and then they had huh. some other random characters, and then shit, I didn't even know about that series. Did that make it to TV on a network, or that was uh, that was another one of those uh, one shot like two hour pilots uh, on a random night? Hmm. Okay, so so Marvel uh, wasn't really successful in the box office or on TV until Blade and X Men started coming out. The Blade series, uh, the first two movies were phenomenal. The third was. You know, it was, uh, uh, watchable. Uh, and then they made a fourth one without Wesley Snipes, which didn't make it to the box office. But if you buy the four pack of movies, it was in there. I, I watch it and eh, it was, it was mediocre. But, um. Yeah, I believe there was a TV show on Spike. It had like one season. Yeah, it, it might have been the same guy from that. Uh, who knows? More recently, right? In like the mid 2000s, the Blade series? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, I think one of the, one of the things I can remember about Blade was, was it Blade 3 that had Triple H in it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm a big wrestling fan, so. Oh yeah, so, yeah. yeah. You're sort of the, uh, vigilant geek equivalent, uh, with wrestling. And, yeah. you know, I think that we should do, just for kicks and giggles, do a pro wrestling cast and, and have Nathan and maybe a few other guys on to, talk about that because i mean we can yeah. we can have a, a special, a, a we, special episode and, and, and i mean that follows that that falls under uh geek news technically if you're a wrestling mm-hmm. geek uh and you want to know what's going on i mean i don't know right now what's going on nathan could it, fill us in with the continuity of the shows but right. uh you know i'm well, i'm uh, a big fan of of uh you know the attitude error and degeneration x and and all that good stuff well, well, so. I think everyone uh, in the wrestling world is happy to know The Undertaker is back for a... I saw that on TV. I was run, so pumped. A run with Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. I saw that. A, that was one thing I can uh, attest to. That is going to be cool. That's going to tear out Brock Lesnar's rotting colon out mm-hmm. <laughs> in the middle of the ring. And throw it in a casket and then bury it. And I'm like, oh, no. Okay. I'm Brock Lesnar and I can't poop anymore. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin's going to come on out of the ring with on his four-wheeler and run your ass over and then throw you in another casket and then bury you. And then the Undertaker and him are going to go chuck down a couple of bears. Give me a hell yeah. <laughs> Wow, well, you know, I can already tell that we have to schedule a pro wrestling <laughs> yeah, cast. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have to do that sometime. But uh, we do, unfortunately, have to stay on topic here. So yeah, yeah. Um, as we continue talking about Phase Zero, these are the films that finally started to catch on with uh, with the viewers, with fanfare, uh, and actually gave Marvel hope uh, to start creating this fantastic cinematic universe. So just real quick, I want to run through some of those films that... Uh, led up to that point. Not all of them were box office hits, but they, uh, were sort of testing the waters, if you will, uh, in the beginning there before Marvel Studios finally 
started uh, making their own films. So we talked Blade, Brian Singer, uh, with the first two X-Men movies, it was just, it blew people away. And then, of course, uh, we had the Spider-Man trilogy with Tobey Maguire, which, in my opinion, is the best live-action Spider-Man uh, media you're going to find. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we had uh, our two Fantastic Four movies, which were, you know, I, I thought they were good for what they were, but uh, once again, they weren't, you know... Uh, big box office, uh, smashes or anything. Uh, we had our first Hulk movie with Eric Banya, which was, well, you try not to yeah. bash anything too I hard. I remember but... we, we tried to have a day where we watched a bunch of them and, uh, and we couldn't get through the first Hulk movie. Oh, it was just, it was tough. It was tough. It was really tough to watch. Uh, not to break the fourth wall and, uh, and, and mention that we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been friends for uh shit. I mean, all of us have been friends for since for years. Definitely since high school, but so, uh, um but yeah, we I I remember you were pissed off that I hadn't watched a lot of these movies and and so <laughs> I think one day we watched like four or five of them. Yeah, well, I I think we could have left that Hulk one out and at least started with uh The Incredible Hulk with mm-hmm. Edward Norton, but I don't know why I forced you through that one. I mean, the big we tried the big thing about that movie, which made no sense to me, was his big feud he had with his father, and uh, his father had made these irradiated dogs that Hulk had to fend off, and the whole the whole thing it just it didn't stay true to the source material very much, and uh, it was very yawn-inducing. But I mean, you know, this was once again Marvel testing the waters here with the box office; they weren't quite sure. Uh, they didn't know what they had. They didn't know what they had, but these stories yet. So, uh, we, we had, we had that Hulk movie. Uh, we had the Punisher with Thomas Jane. Fanboys go nuts over that one. Is uh, that, is that, um, I can't think of which one it was, but there was a Punisher movie that a, a kid I worked with uh, worked overnight at the supermarket stocking shelves for a while and we watched movies when we had downtime because we could. <laughs> and there's no security camera. Oh yeah, that's the, great. Uh, in the break room. So he'd bring his mini DVD player and we'd watch movies. And you showed me a Punisher movie. I'm not sure if it's that one. Did it have John like, oh. Travolta in it? No. Okay. Oh, it might have been the Punisher War Zone with uh, Ray, yes, Ray Stevenson. That. Yeah, it was that one. Now I thought that Ray Stevenson was such a great Punisher because that's had- what he said too. And I and but it was like it was it was so over the top. Maybe it's because I didn't know the comics. Well, I mean, he's a very over-the-top character, obviously, but... Yeah. um Well, Punisher's well-known for its ultra-violence, the book itself. Um, that's what a lot of people are attracted to. Oh, absolutely. You're going to get... You're going to get the blood and gore with the Punisher. Everyone, I mean, most people know that. But the thing about Ray Stevenson is he played sort of like the big, dark, stoic... I mean, not that Thomas Jane wasn't big, dark, and stoic, because he certainly was, but, I mean... The fact that Thomas Jane didn't talk much during his Punisher film, well, Ray Stevenson, I mean, I don't know if he had more than five lines in that movie. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of difference there. Uh, he's a bigger guy, too. I mean, uh, so physically, he's a, more, a little bit more believable Punisher, but I thought overall Thomas Jane was, was a better uh, Punisher in regards to acting and stuff like that. So, I mean, both movies did very mediocre, the box offices, but then again... Punisher is a story that has like a, a smaller fan base too. It's kind of like a cult 
type following where there's only certain people that are into that kind of a dark, gritty, violent tale. Wouldn't you say he's a fringe character, Andrew? <laughs> I'd say... You like your fringe <laughs> characters, Andrew. Oh, I'd say if I were to write an encyclopedia on comics, uh, he would... You look up fringe character and you'd probably see a picture of the Punisher. So, yeah. I and, think if he were a jean jacket, he would definitely have some fringe. You know? <laughs> the jean jacket Punisher, that would be an interesting one. I would like... I'd like to see that, actually. You know what would be really cool is if he had a mullet and cut off jean shorts, too. Yeah, all also with fringe. Also with fringe. Lots of fringe. I mean, I'm talking shoelaces with fringe. Yeah. I mean, different multicolored fringe. Moccasins I mean, even. Oh. I'm sure you're not like <laughs> talking about frayed. Like frayed. Frayed. Well, yeah. they say fringe. I think fringe and frayed are in yeah, the same. Yeah, it's like frayed fringe. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a rough fringe. You get fringe on your, on your denim vest there, bud. You know? Frayed and fringe. I always wanted to like rock one of those uh uh denim sleeveless denim vests too with like all the patches on it of all the different punk bands and maybe a little bit of like spikes on the shoulders but I don't know I just I never got into dressing like that I mean my parents dressed me like probably until senior year of high school and then I went to military school and they dressed me there so uh I love, I love holding nitpicking about about fringe. fringe, fringe. Yeah. Like, he, he's a, funny, he's a clothing fun, designer. The funny thing is that I really don't know very much about fashion. <laughs> he's like, um, I think you mean frayed. I think you mean frayed here. Um, actually. Guys, let's keep this accurate. It's like a, yeah. Well, I don't like know. A, maybe I secretly do know how to make costumes. Yeah, maybe that's your, your All right, that's it. I am, power. I'm setting this up, you know. We will get like two free podcasts if Holden makes you a new uh, Duke of Cambridge costume. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm totally cool with that. You just make a video of me sewing my hands together. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I was, was going to say about uh, Punisher Warzone, I think my... My biggest uh, problem with it was just a lack of plot. It was just kind of like a one story. It was just like, ah, some someone's I gotta. They're killing people. Lots of people like getting killed over here. So maybe the other one's better. I need to watch. Oh, in regards to plot, it's no question. The the Punisher title movie they made actually has a very good plot, a very good Punisher origin. I think what they were trying to do with Warzone, and I don't know why the hell they didn't. Put Thomas Jane in that one as well because he's been itching to continue with the character. I he even even made a fan film online. If uh, if you hadn't seen it, you go on YouTube and type in "Dirty Laundry." It's an excellent fan made Punisher movie starring Thomas Jane. He loves the character so much. Yeah, I think um, he passed on the second one. Is either he didn't like the script, and he was signed on to do a Stephen King written film called The Mist. Ah, and it's okay. the one that it takes maybe a place up in Maine. All of a sudden, this mist rolls into town, and they're all stuck in the supermarket. And then all these creatures from another dimension start running around outside. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, it was okay. I was hoping that movie was based on Mist, the old PC game. Yeah, it wasn't. Mm. <laughs> that was, it ended so depressing. He's just like, all right, I just shot everyone in my family, but I'm all out of bullets. And then the National Guard just like walks in. They like got flamethrowers and stuff. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just walking through National Guard, killing monsters like we do. Rock Godzilla on. ain't got shit on me. And then, uh, then he's like, no, I just killed my family. 
Uh, I gotta uh. check that one out. That sounds pretty, pretty badass, oh, actually. Um, keeping things sort of on track here, though, uh, just to finish up Phase Zero, we, we did get into talking about The Punisher and some fringe characters. Uh, two other movies based on some fringe characters that are, I guess, worth mentioning before we move on to the Marvel Cinematic Universe itself, uh, were the dare, the first Daredevil, the only Daredevil, uh, feature film ever made, starring Ben Affleck, uh, where he, you know, sleeps in the bathtub and, uh, you know, people didn't like it, and I thought it was actually not that bad, but, uh, well, Ben Affleck didn't do that bad of a job, uh, as Matt Murdock. Uh, I know there, there was, uh, some writing flaws, some acting flaws. I didn't really like, uh, Jennifer Garner cast as Electra. I thought it was lame. She didn't look like her. She didn't act like her, really. Uh, plus, they met in college, if you go by the source material. They didn't meet later in life like they did in the movie. Uh, so, you know, I, fanboys and the general public alike uh, beat beat that film to hell. Uh, I think if you don't nitpick too much and, you know, uh, you get a little buzz on before you put it on, I think it's not a bad movie. But And uh, the Electra movie that came shortly after that is a whole different story. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't sit through it. It was just, it was, it was rough. Well, it was the start of a beautiful relationship between Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner, though. Yeah, but isn't which that, he actually just destroyed. Is, yeah, yeah. Because uh, he was on the set. Ending. Yeah, he's on the set of uh, of the Suicide Squad, and uh, you know, not to get into the celebrity gossip here, but apparently he's been having a little side thing with Margot Robbie, uh, who plays Harley Quinn. Oh, well, it's a it's a good choice. Getting a newer car. Yeah, so to speak, he's uh he's trading up, I guess. So you know, you can't yeah. can't fault a man for that, I, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Or you could, a you man. definitely could, because uh, the sanctity of marriage is important to some people. I I just uh, I hope his um his his uh character as far as playing portraying a superhero in Daredevil, uh, I hope it's a little better with Batman because I, I, <laughs> I thought his just just his general demeanor. Ben Affleck, he just, I feel like he doesn't suit a superhero character, but I don't know. But, uh, you know. We'll yeah, but he looks like Bruce Wayne. And that's, right. That's really, and then he, he can well, also. Looks earn everything, Holden. And he can, he can act. <laughs> he's a, he's, he's a good actor, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, I mean, I liked him in lots of other things. No, no, he, he's, he's a better, phenomenal, he's a director, phenomenal director, phenomenal writer, phenomenal actor. No questions there. And, uh, he's got the voice down better than anyone yet. In my opinion, I've only seen the trailer, but it seems based on that, the whole, do you bleed? You will. I mean, obviously I can't do the voice, but, uh, you know, it, impre- it impressed me. I think, you know, he's taking himself to a really dark place for the role. Uh, you Give know, up, Joker. He's a lot. Geely too. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, that was well. That's not a very good example either of his acting abilities. But no, I mean, over the years, he's he's been in a lot of cool stuff. I'll he's, say this about Geely: there's been worse movies. I I, I didn't saw, see it. I, I saw it just out of curiosity. There's been worse movies. Really? It wasn't. It wasn't so horrible. No. Yeah. What? How do you? How is it that you even ended up like watching it? Because I cause tell me it was a girlfriend. Please tell me. No, I watched it alone. And I, oh I, god, that's depressing. Because I wanted to. I wanted to see this movie that everyone was saying was so horrible, and it was like I was like, you know what? It's not as bad. It, it was only bad because it was like Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck. That's so dark. together. It's that, so dark. 
I know. And just people thought it was going to be so, uh, so horrible. But. See, she wouldn't go for a guy like him. She wouldn't, she doesn't like white guys anyway, so that's not believable. And she, she needs somebody with a little bit more of an edge. Somebody that's going to smack her around a little yeah, bit, like, like Mark JC Anthony. or Mark Anthony. Whatever his name is. Yeah. I actually don't know much about celebrity gossip, so. No, me neither. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, why are we going down this road, guys? I, I, I don't know, but, I, and I don't even know. Divert, yeah. I don't even know if she is even married to Jay-Z or, 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 or what celebrity she's mm-hmm. really married to, cause I, I don't follow that stuff. I just, it's the first name that came to my mind. I don't know. Alright, well. Sorry, I didn't uh, mean to take it. <laughs> moving, <laughs> moving right along. Oh my god. Alright, so. So anyways, um, um, with, 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 uh, with the, the the phase zero, the testing the waters phase, sort of, uh, we touched upon that. So <laughs> I didn't mean to fluster you guys with my mainstream brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, believe me, uh, it adds a nice flavor to the show. So, uh, but if we could now focus on phase yeah, one, vanilla. yeah. So <laughs> phase one kind of started out. Soy Marvel bean vanilla. Was, uh, Marvel was like, "Hey, we have the technology now. We're sick and tired of." Uh, Signing over these properties that we have and having people making movies, why don't we just make them ourselves and make way more money? Because we know exactly what we're doing. And the first movie that ever came out of Marvel Studios was Iron Man back in 2008. It was directed by Jon Favreau. Uh, it was expertly casted with Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Absolutely. Um, and much like Swingers, also directed by Jon Favreau. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I was a fan. Of, <laughs> I was a big fan of Swingers, but uh, I don't want to get us on another tangent. But uh, no, Robert Downey Jr., perfect Tony Stark, probably the best casting decision in Hollywood ever. And his career was nothing at that point, really. Well, I blame that on the drugs, but yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah obviously. But yeah, it was. he was well known for a lot of Rat Pack stuff. In his personal life, he was mm-hmm. kind of considered a alcoholic playboy. Which just made him perfect to play Tony Stark, considering he's an alcoholic playboy. I mean, besides Charlie Sheen, Robert Downey Jr. was the perfect choice for Tony Stark. I mean, I personally that would have been a good choice. Personally, I think Sheen could really cold cock him, you know, in that suit. You know, I'd give him a little mustache. You know, I think he'd be great. But flies in on the suit and blasts some terrorists in the face. (laughs) I think they winning. And see, Sheen doesn't even need to work out, as he's just he's Sheen. You know, he can he looks all like, like decrepit now with all the drug use and prostitution. They, Marvel should just create a superhero for Charlie Sheen, just like a tiger blood, <laughs> tiger blood character. Like the tiger blood, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he has I, Adonis DNA. If they worked out a deal uh, where, you know, they had a popular writer and a pop, popular artist uh and, and, and got like, you know, the copyrights, uh, okay from Charlie Sheen. Like that would just, that would sell off the shelf so friggin' fast. I would love it. Uh, but anyways. Nah, <laughs> like only if it, he only does sitcoms now. So it'd have to be like a Marvel sitcom. He'd come <laughs> be in great. and be like, well, I've been fighting crime all day. Let me tell you about all the sex I've been having when I'm not fighting crime. It's <laughs> so like, let's throw in some sex puns. <laughs> That's exactly what it would be like. It'd be great. I'll, I'll say this, like Iron Man to Robert Downey Jr. was kind of like what Pulp Fiction was to Travolta. And Charlie Sheen. Oh, the... <laughs> no, he was not in it Pulp Fiction. just resurrected. The <laughs> resurrection. <laughs> no, yeah. I agree yeah. completely. No, you're 100% right about that. Or uh Mickey Rourke uh, with The Wrestler. 
Another great yep, example another of a washed-up uh, actor who just came back to Hollywood, kicked ass. Still talented. Oh, he's great, and he was great in Sin City, and he was also great in... Uh, Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2 as uh, Whiplash. We'll get into that in he a minute. He was great in that, and I, I actually oh. really liked Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2 is awesome. Mickey Rourke killed it in that. Mickey Rourke was just such a great douchebag Russian. We were talking about this earlier today where he's like, I want my bird. And he's like, oh, we got you a bird. It's a nice bird. Look at that pretty bird. Like, I want my bird! <laughs> Anyways, we'll get into that later. So we're talking about phase one here. And uh, Sorry for getting us off task yet again, but uh, we're mentioning Iron Man uh, as the, the, the movie that really was like the pioneer movie to kick off the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, uh, and then uh, they could, this is the movie where they kind of realized what they had mm-hmm. and what they could build upon. As soon as this movie did so well, because before that, Iron Man wasn't really an enormously popular character in Marvel. Um, he kind of had a piss poor rogues gallery. Um, oh, besides the Mandarin, who's he got? Ironmonger and uh, and Whiplash and uh, Justin Hammer, but Justin Hammer really just builds tech. Uh, yeah, he's just more of a rival, and not really a and uh, a rogue. Uh, uh, well, I mean, he's he's been used as a rogue in the comics before, where he's like stolen like Tony Stark's tech and like threw it on and like went toe to toe with him and stuff, but. Uh, you know, he's definitely a lot more of a business rival, I agree. Yeah. So anyways, here they uh, they realized what they had with these properties that they – well, wait. We have all these established characters with all these backstories that we could use to build this enormous cinematic universe where oh, – They got 50 years of Simod uh, story arcs that they could dig out. All this out. continuity, everything being interconnected. It's like almost like every movie is just an episode. In, why, uh, why haven't they used Iron Man's like biggest villain in a movie yet? Well, well they did, but they, they kind of uh, they kind of fucked it up. Uh, pardon my French there, but uh, in, the, in Iron Man three, they do uh, showcase the Mandarin, but he's not the same. No, not the Mandarin. I mean, uh, I mean Rust. Rust, I, iron. Ah, ru- uh, it's a, uh, a, a long way to go. Go on, I oh, didn't mean man. to. That was. Uh, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> you, uh, you totally Adam carded us there on that one. Yeah, it was a uh, two. There's a long way to go for that one. But okay, um, well, we'll get to Iron Man three and my disappointment, but then my rebirth and enjoying that movie uh, in regards to Mandarin. Uh, but let's continue with some of the films you encounter going through phase one. Now, if you're looking to, to, to start uh, a Marvel movie marathon or something, and you want to start at the beginning and go to the present, you know, you start with these movies, Iron Man, uh, the incredible Hulk with Edward Norton, uh, Iron Man two, we talked about with Mickey Rourke uh, as whiplash uh, that was a great flick. Uh, I do love that there's that chronology to it. Like, you do have to watch them kind of in order. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and that gets more prevalent as we get into the introduction of some of these Infinity Gems, which we'll touch upon as well as we go further down the line. And uh, I don't think Holden should bash your love of fringe characters because, really, a lot of those guys were sort of fringe. I mean, like, is Thor really like a – was was he like a main – yeah, no, he absolutely has always been. Oh, he's all, he's okay. one of the original Avengers. Yeah, yeah. that's. A, but, okay. um, I'm wrong. I, f- I I just feel like maybe some of those guys are like uh, not, not. Well, well I mean, a, a lot of the, a lot of characters that are being uh, used in the Marvel movies now are actually a lot more popular than they ever were, simply because they're on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Black Widow has been selling a lot better. Um, Hawkeye. Hawkeye with Jeff Lemire. That's been a great book. Yeah, that's been really good. Uh, I heard good stuff about the Matt Fraction written stuff too. It's just I haven't, uh, really looked into it too much. I, I didn't good read about that as well. Yeah, I've heard great things. I didn't read Hawkeye back then, but I know that Jeff Lemire is doing some great stuff. And this isn't supposed to be about books, but just real quick, uh, he's really, he's diving into Hawkeye's origin more than any writer really has up to this point where, you know, he was just kind of like this kid uh, who worked at a carnival and he was just an amazing shot and he just finally tuned that, you know, throughout his life. The, became... the orphan who ran away from home and joined the circus. Oh, yeah, yeah. This um, house is full of teddy bears from those carnival games. Well, come, you know, funny thing you mentioned that, uh, we... Spoiler alert here, but if you haven't seen Age of Ultron yet, you're a poozer. So, um. I haven't seen it. We have seen Hawkeye's house. We've seen the inside of his house, and there are no teddy bears. There's none. There's not one teddy bear. Uh, if you've seen Age of Ultron, you know that they, uh, escape to Hawkeye's house. He has a farm. He has a wife, and he keeps it all secret from everyone. Uh, mainly just to protect his family, but, uh, there's a cool scene with, uh, Steve Rogers and Tony Stark competing and chopping wood, which is an old American activity. Are there any, are there any Bart Simpson dolls? I don't, I didn't see one doll in that house whatsoever. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't believe there is. It seemed rather old fashioned. I think all the dolls that were there, if they were there, would be made out of wood. Wooden dolls. Well, he's an older gentleman, right? So is, uh. All right. Maybe we'll do a podcast someday about dolls. Uh, but for right now, we're doing, we're going to do some Marvel movies. So, uh, getting back on task here. Consider uh, my hands nailed to the cross. <laughs> 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 oh, no, dude. It has been fantastic having you here on the show today because I haven't stopped laughing. But, uh, Let's talk about um, where phase one really starts to take a turn and, and, and work towards the climax. And this is the assembling of the Avengers. And the, the first you really see of that is when they finally introduce a new character to the screen in the first Thor movie, um, which brings us Thor and Loki and then uh, some of the uh, other characters uh, from Thor that have been have been seen fighting in other battles, other Asgardians such as Lady Sif and uh, the Warriors Three. So, um, and then you know that also introduces our big villain for Phase One, Loki in Loki, uh, which brings us to Captain America: The First Avenger, where we are introduced to the first Infinity Stone. And Holden, uh, this is a perfect time for you to tell us a little bit about that because I'm sure there's many of you out there who watch the films and are, uh, very much, uh, aware of the Tesseract and what it is, but, uh, don't in fact realize that it's also an Infinity Gem or Infinity Stone as they're calling it in these movies that are starting to be intertwined by these objects that are being introduced. Right. So in Captain America, they uh, they introduced uh, the Tesseract. It was originally introduced as this old Norse uh, cube of unimaginable power. Uh, it ends up uh, being found by the Red Skull, and he ends up reverse engineering it in order to create these beam weapons. Um, so what happens is they, they go through Captain America's origin story. Uh, I guess the super serum becomes a super soldier, does some stuff to... 
for people to buy war bonds. Finally, he, he's a chorus girl for a little while. Yeah, he yeah he he makes commercials. He talks about punching Adolf in the jaw, and uh, <laughs> he's done it like a hundred times. I mean, he knows all about that. Now then, I love I love how they. Uh, really focused on him being like a, a tool for propaganda for so long because that's really uh, accurate in how Captain America became a comic book character even. Uh, it was originally a character that was used a lot uh, for propaganda. Yeah, just to, so. you know, build up the uh, spree de corps and yeah, get that's, people that's, really involved. It's a really cool story that of like just... Uh, yeah, the the every man who, yeah. who just wanted to make a difference. I mean, eventually he gets around to um, actually using his powers as like this super secret special forces black ops ninja warrior guy, and which is which is Cap at his best. That's when I love reading Cap or watching him on screen is when he's in that black ops type stuff. They they uh, yeah, so they pretty much go through his full backstory. Uh, they introduce uh, Bucky Barnes, who later becomes a Winter Soldier. Um, and uh, Howard time. Stark, mm. uh, Tony Stark's father, makes an appearance. Um, hey, hey, couple, Howard Stark, and a couple other. And anyways, what happens is is that they uh, they end up the uh, Captain America ends up fighting the Red Skull, his arch nemesis, and he stops Mr. Him. Anderson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving has been in so much shit. Like he's yeah. you know. Matrix, Captain America, Lord, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, he's such a good actor. Very versatile. Continue. Ven- yeah, also V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Fantastic. Runs Fantastic. the spectrum of uh, all those movies. Oh, he, he's an amazing character actor. And, oh, uh, right. anyways, they, they end up getting defeated. They, uh, they end up finding the shield ends up finding Captain America frozen in the ocean. I guess the ice preserved him up until the current Modern times, they find the Tesseract and they're like, oh, look at this. Which leads into the Avengers. Um, so they got them to themselves, uh, their very own Captain America that they can. <laughs> and the, yeah, this is where the have story him, Have him do stuff. In his mind, he's still there to serve the country and everything else. And things get all crazy. They're doing, uh, experiments with the Tesseract. I guess it opens wormholes. Uh, Loki was defeated at the end of Thor, goes ahead and makes a deal with Thanos to have the Shatari invade Earth. So he goes and he gets this staff that actually has the, uh, yeah, let me see here, the Mind Stone in it. And he uses that to brainwash Hawkeye and Dr. Eric Selvig from the Thor movie before. It makes him go, oh, remember when he was going streaking, or was that in Thor 2 when he's doing that? That was in the second one. Oh, that's after he's all messed up from the effects of the Tesseract. Yeah, yeah so. Anyway, sorry. Loki, Loki pits everybody against each other, and it turns out that the, uh, the Tesseract itself is actually the Space Stone, which is blue, and they, at the end of the movie, everyone gets defeated, and then, they bring it back to Asgard for safekeeping. Um, if you're not familiar with the Infinity Gems, but they're, they're calling them the Infinity Stones in the movies, and this is what they're building up to. One of the biggest Marvel storylines or crossover events that they ever had was the Infinity Gauntlet. And what that is is Thanos goes and he gets all these Infinity Gems and they have all these different uh, control over different aspects of reality, like... 
soul, time, space, mind, reality, and power. And when you have them all, you have all the power to control everything around you as like a god. And everyone in the Marvel Universe had to go up against Thanos. So this is – once we found out that the Tesseract was actually one of these stones, we finally found out what Marvel's Endgame is. They're building everything up for one giant, enormous crossover movie event. Two-parter. Two-parter called Infinity War, which will be – Avengers out. Infinity War. Part Woo-hoo. one will be in 2018, and then part two will be in 2019. Beautiful. That is going to be a couple of great years for sitting in the movie theater. I'll be watching that movie probably four or five different times. I have, a, I have a dumb question. Sure. Um, how loyal is the Thor comics to Norse mythology? Ooh, see, um, uh, neither of us are big into the Thor book, so this is an interesting question. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Norse mythology. Uh, it follows it up to the point where they're talking about Loki. In Marvel Comics, Loki is Thor's adopted brother, whereas in actual Norse mythology, Loki is actually Odin's adopted brother. Oh, okay. Really? Huh, I never yeah. knew that. Well, um, no, that was not a dumb question, because I didn't even know the answer. <laughs> uh, right. I, I, I've never, you know, it's funny, I... So good. We just, I just picked up, uh... Help a, me off this cross. <laughs> <laughs> now, believe me, a few more... Ten th- fingers. A <laughs> few more of these, and, and you won't be, you won't feel like you're on the cross anymore, <laughs> but, but, um... Funny, I, I don't read a lot of Thor, but I just picked up a, a Thor comic today at the local retailer uh, for Comic-Con. As I'm, I'm going to be meeting Stan. I wanted him to sign something uh, worth signing. And I found uh, an original uh, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby uh, issue with Thor. The cover's really cool. He's fighting this big monster. And Very nice to meet you. That'll be $100. Yeah, no, it's more than that. <laughs> Keep going, buddy. Uh, he, it is not cheap to meet that man. But, you know, how much longer is he going to be around for? You it was know? like 91. Like, we'll be yeah. lucky if he makes it another week. Apparently oh, yeah. he cancels a lot. So Well, he's in out of the hospital. I mean, he just got out of the hospital again two weeks ago. He's doing so. pretty good. I think he's like the last World War II vet alive right now. Wow. Wow. Well, either way, like, I'm just friggin' amazed that I'm going to have a chance to meet him before he kicks a bucket. I mean, I, not that I, you know, not that I'm looking forward to that day. Um, you didn't hear that. Andrew Captain was just America? furiously knocking on wood. <laughs> what about Captain America? <laughs> well, if Captain America was real, then yes, Captain America would be a World War II vet as well. I didn't mean to talk over you. Um, alright, so, with that, let's keep going and keep trying to stay on task here. So we mentioned, uh, that the Avengers movie, Holden has given us some great background about, uh, the Infinity Gem that's, uh, showcased in that movie with, uh, Loki's staff and everything. So this is, you know, the movie that brings phase one full circle for us. You know, we have all of the core team members finally joining up and, and, and eventually by the end of the film learning to work together as they fight the Chitari, yeah. which is the uh, uh, cosmic uh, species of aliens that Loki strikes to deal with uh, to wage his war on Earth. And in exchange for that, as we now know, he was to give uh, Thanos uh, the Infinity Stone, the one, or the, the stone that uh, he was using for his staff, you know, after the war, after he had you know? Yeah, that, and then I believe the Tesseract as well. And the Tesseract, yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately for Loki, he fails, and, uh, the Avengers, uh, send him back to Asgard in chains with Thor. And where are the gems at that point? 
So at that point, the staff ends up being commandeered by agents of Hydra, the bad guys that... Baron Von Strucker, I believe, is yep, the main guy on that the, one. The bad yeah. guys that Captain America ran in new in the first Captain America flick. Um, we'll talk about more of them once we uh, start talking about Winter Soldier. Um, and then the Tesseract itself was brought to Asgard for safekeeping. Guarded in Asgard. Uh, I would choose Asgard if I was to hide something of value. I think that's a good choice for now. Yeah, a lot of Viking gods, you know, protect stuff. Powerful beings, yeah, absolutely. So uh, phase one comes to a close uh, with the Avengers. And then, uh, big, uh, I guess Phase 2 would begin with Iron Man 3? Yes, uh, Phase 2 kicked off with Iron Man 3, which, you know, originally I had saw it uh, in IMAX, and I was thrilled up to the point that I realized uh, that the Mandarin was just kind of a patsy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it wasn't as bad as all that. I, I guess in the comics, the Mandarin is this very powerful being that has, like... What like ten magic rings that he uses to like brainwash people and stuff? Isn't that his shtick? I'm not real familiar with. Um, him. To be honest, it's been a while since I've seen him in, in a recent Marvel comic. Uh, you are correct, but I uh, I can't really dispute it either way, just because it's been so long since I read an arc. Like I think I remember reading a, a Mandarin arc when I was a kid, and that was probably the last time I have seen him in a comic book. Personally, I know he's been in and out, but, uh, yeah. just for me personally, it's been, it's been that long since I've seen him. But, uh, you know, uh, obviously I came around to the idea because, you know, it made it a little more believable. It made sort of so like aim, you know, idea, advanced idea mechanics, which is like the big evil corporation within the Marvel U. It made it sort of so they were like the big bad guys. Yeah. They were more like they're like mad scientists who develop weapons and, do evil things like test gene therapies that make people spontaneously combust on veterans. Like the uh, extremist virus, which was the big uh, issue in Iron Man 3. Yeah. Uh, that was their big weapon. Uh, what I really liked about Iron Man 3 is that uh, Tony Stark was he was he did an awful lot within the movie while without the use of his armor. His house gets blown up at the beginning because he runs his mouth and tells the terrorist organization exactly where he lives. And then the terrorists attack it with helicopters and blow up his house. And uh, he ends up on the run. And it also shows him like coping with his PTSD from what happened in the Avengers movie. Uh, flying up that wormhole and barely making it back through. And almost getting blown up yeah. by a nuke. And then, uh, But he does that. But it also shows him like why he's such a superhero is because... How he gets by on not because he has a great suit, but because of his intelligence. He ends up like making his own gadgets to infiltrate the stronghold of the Mandarin and figure out all this stuff, and eventually, oh, yeah. he, uh, ends up winning out. And very, very much uh, MacGyver like, uh, especially towards the end of that movie. And and it, it, you're absolutely right; it's totally a hundred percent a Tony Stark story of the man and the mind and not necessarily the suit. In fact, it's even more prevalent in the last scene of the movie when you have all those, you know, Iron Man suits that he's programmed to work by themselves. It's sort of like just like one last message to the viewer that, hey, uh, Iron Man is the man, Tony Stark. It's not the suit. It doesn't have anything to do with the suit. The suits are all tools that he uses to do his job. 
So I and I've always liked that uh, about the character and about how they've just done a, such a great job, even before the films, just in the books, just uh, creating uh, and 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 building on that character because it's such a strong character in the Marvel U. Well said. Well said. So um, that brings us to Thor two, uh, the Dark Thor, World. Dark World. We where we uh, get introduced to. Another uh, Infinity Gem, Infinity Stone. Right. Uh, in this movie, the uh, the Dark Elves conspire to bring back eternal darkness to the entire universe using the Aether, which the Aether is actually the reality stone, only it's – you see it. It's kind of a fluid thing, um, but believe me, it's a, it's a reality stone, so – Thor goes, he faces off against Malekith, the uh, leader of the Dark Elves, and he ends up getting back together with, uh, what is it, Jane Foster? It's Jane Foster, right? Yep. And um, they get together, and then they need to get back together with Eric Selvik, and by now he's like lost his mind after being brainwashed by Loki. Everyone thinks he's nuts. He's giving physics lessons to a bunch of people in an insane home, and he's doing it in his underwear, and he's using all these big words and talking and writing on chalkboards. So they have to go in and get him out of there and then uh, figure out how to stop it because all these realities are actually converging, all these different uh, worlds that uh, are interconnected with um, with Asgard. So he goes, he throws down, he defeats him, they get the Aether. Uh, if you wait for the end credits, the end of Thor, the Dark World, you see Lady Sith and Vostok. Is that Volstagg? Yes, you're right. There, uh, is it Volstagg? Volstagg or Volstagg? Uh, either way, um, yeah, they uh, anyway, uh, take it to the collector. They bring it to the collector on nowhere and give it to him for safekeeping because he's pretty well known for keeping things under lock under locks. Because they don't want two Infinity Stones in the same area. It's a bad idea. These are like some of the most important powerful items in reality and they don't want them next to each other because it makes it too easy for people uh, the interest and get attacked and, and yeah it's sort of like you know a, a two-in-one package deal uh you don't want someone to come raid you know a place where you're holding more than one infinity stone and get two stones for the price of one you know, <laughs> so to speak yeah. So it's good to have them hidden uh, within different realms and different uh, galaxies within the universe. Absolutely. Keep them, keep them in, so. keep Killing them in, one bird with two infinity keeping, stones. Keeping yeah, you don't want places. that to happen. Ah. You want to keep those stones away from people like Thanos and uh, entities of evil because uh, reality could uh, change for the worse as we know it. And they abuse things. They certainly do. So... um Let's see. This brings us to uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Captain America was next. Oh, I th I'm sorry. I thought we mentioned that. Uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier. Right, uh, chronologically. Uh, and this, it's Captain America after the Avengers movie, how he's coping with things now in the modern era. Here's a man who's back, from, uh, lived back in uh, the 1940s, 1930s, um, and now... He's uh, living in a new era, and he's kind of questioning what the work that he's doing for the government and, like, questions what he's fighting for. And uh, in this story, it actually turns out that Hydra survived, and they managed to put people in positions of power. And a lot of people from Hydra are actually working within S.H.I.E.L.D., 
and are actually in public office. And they're using this, uh, the Winter Soldier, who is actually Bucky Barnes, Captain America's old childhood friend. And they get into this big fight where they launch all these helicarriers, and the helicarriers are targeting everyone in the United States who's uh, taking a... uh, Choo, 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 choo. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of, <laughs> lot of guns. A lot of, a lot of shooting. Um, so they, they face off. They end up, uh, thwarting evil, but Captain America's like, shield gets disbanded or I'm not gonna fight anymore. And the, uh, he gets real beat up, but he ends up, uh, ends up winning. The Winter Soldier escapes, but he's trying to figure out who he is because he keeps getting brainwashed. And then that leads us to the Guardians of the Galaxy. Correct. Uh, in, in this movie, which was, uh, really groundbreaking because it just sort of had a different tone for a superhero movie as opposed to most other superhero movies we've been exposed to up until this point. It had like a much lighter comedic tone to it. It was also really refreshing because it was, uh, a Marvel property that not a lot of people knew about. So it was, it was fresh and it was new. You got to get to know all these new different characters. Could you say that is a fringe? No, not anymore, but they used to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They so, used to definitely be uh, a fringe. Yay. Uh, uh, <laughs> set of characters. I mean, uh, kind of a good point. No, absolutely. Uh, fringe can become something more. Oh, absolutely. No, um, these, these characters and, and the characters, the, gr- the, the team that they have on screen right now was not the original, uh, team of guardians when the book came out. Yondu, who is actually one of, uh, the adversaries for Star Lord and the guardians, uh, throughout most of the movie was actually a member of the guardians originally, uh, along with Starhawk. Uh, a lot of other characters, but they've changed people out, uh, over the years the same way they've done it with the X-Men and any other, uh, superhero fighting team out there. So, um, it was interesting for even, uh, someone who had read the book for a few years prior, uh, to see these characters on the screen because it was still fresh and raw for me, uh, and I had still had a ways to go learning about the characters, and I think a lot of other people were in the same, uh, situation where it was just, it was just, Fresh and new. It's like the next good, the next great thing. Uh, so plus the tone that was taken, uh, telling the story and the amazing writing and directing by James Gunn, uh, it ended up being a real blockbuster. So, uh, in that movie, uh, yet another stone, uh, is introduced and that stone is the power stone, power stone. uh, <clears throat> which is, uh, a redstone. It's purple. Or it's purple. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Either way, um, it's red or it's purple. It's, it's, it's purple. And, uh, at the end of the movie, you know, Ronan's trying to obviously get a hold of the stone and so is everyone else. And, yeah. uh, the guardians, of course, uh, survive the battle with Ronan and fend off Yondu by giving him, uh, you know, the container, the circular metal container that the stone was in, well, they put a little troll doll in that and send him on his way. Uh, and entrust the stone to the Nova Corps. That's right. So the Nova Corps uh, is currently guarding the Power Stone. So we have three stones in the universe right now at this point, and they're all being safely guarded at this point. Uh, 
except actually uh, for the uh, the stone that was acquired by Hydra, because that doesn't get acquired again by the Avengers until the beginning of Age of Ultron, which is the next film to talk about anyways. Uh, the beginning of that film, we see the Avengers, uh, we see the Avengers, uh, storming, uh, Baron von Strucker's castle and, uh, making it look pretty easy to steal the Infinity Stone back. Uh, and then of course, throughout the course of, uh, Age of Ultron, we have Tony Stark, who can't resist the temptation of using that stone, uh, to create, uh, the artificial intelligence known as Ultron, uh, and then also creating, uh, or no, Ultron then, uh, uses the same power, uh, to create the vision, which is, uh, a new member of the Avengers. He's also artificial intelligence, but he seems to have a much stronger moral compass than Ultron does. Uh, so Ultron is sort of his father, so to speak, but he uh, sympathizes with the Avengers and joins forces with them. So that stone is now currently lodged into Vision's head. He's, it's on his forehead. So that one's protected pretty damn well, I think, too. Um... So this leads us to the last uh, film to discuss in Phase 2, uh, which we all had the pleasure of seeing over the weekend. Uh, Ant-Man. Ant-Man just came out. Uh, I thought it was very good. I saw it. You did? Yeah. You're in the know. Everyone it. knows about Ant-Man. I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was, I thought it was excellent. And I like that... Um, I mean, we might want to save it for Part 2, but... I, uh, about the, uh, one of the writers of it. I was, uh, I was interested to, to learn that an, an old SNL writer, someone who wrote a lot of Will Ferrell movies was a writer for that. So as a comedian, it was interesting to learn that Adam McKay wrote for Ant-Man. Very interesting. And, uh, I'll tell you what, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on Adam McKay because I find it pretty interesting myself. Uh, as yeah. soon as we take a break to plug Hotcast Studios. All right. We can plug Hotcast Studio all day. All right. So we're here in Hotcast Studio. You can look up Hotcast Studio at Hotcast Studio on Twitter and you can look up the website at hotcaststudio.com, which is uh, still in progress, but it will be up very soon. And uh, you can come to Hotcast Studio and record your own podcast if you'd like to. And uh, for uh, a fee, you can contact me and uh, you can contact us uh, on Facebook and like the Hotcast fan page or follow us on Twitter at Hotcast Studio. And you can email me at nburk18. Is, uh, I don't have a uh, at gmail.com. I don't have a Hotcast email yet, but you can contact me on that if you want to record your own podcast like these gentlemen are doing here. And uh, it's located in Beverly, Massachusetts. So if you're close to Beverly, you can uh, absolutely have the opportunity to record your own podcast. Beautiful. We'll be right back with part two of this cast. <laughs> 